you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. If not, you can just check it out on the screen. But I want to ask you a question today. That of all of you will be able to answer with certainty before you leave today. And the question is this. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ really matter to you? Let's start with some background here in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. As my mama used to say, they didn't dilly-dally around. Have you ever made something a priority? Ladies, you remember planning that big wedding? Everything had to be just right. The flowers had to be right. The tuxes had to be right. The dress had to be right. The bridesmaids' dresses had to be just right. The church building had to be just right. The reception hall had to be just right. Everything had to be perfect for that day. Why? Because it was a priority. Guys, remember the last time you couldn't find the remote control for the TV? You just walked into the house, and you didn't have a chance to set your DVR and the big game is coming on. And for the life of you, you cannot find the remote control to the TV. You're down on your hands and knees looking underneath the couch and throwing pillows off of chairs and pulling out drawers and doing everything that you can to find the remote control. Why? Because it was a priority. Young people... Remember the last time you couldn't find your cell phone? It's a priority, was it not? I remember a week ago Saturday, my daughter, Michaela, who's soon to be 16, she didn't lose her cell phone, but her cell phone stopped working. And for two or three hours, she tried everything she could to get that cell phone working again, but nothing worked. And so she grabs my cell phone and says, Dad, can I borrow your cell phone? It's like, okay. Immediately she gets on Snapchat. How many of you know what Snapchat is? About 15 of you, and most of you are under 30, okay. You know what it is, Glenn? Yeah. All right, he does. All right, good. All right. Well, Michaela starts Snapchatting all these people, person after person after person after person after person. She uses Snapchat more in 30 minutes than I've used it in three years. I've got like two contacts on my phone with Snapchat. I got my wife and I got my daughter, Michaela. I think I used to have my younger brother, Myron, on there, but I've, he got deleted somehow. I never did put my older brother, Steve, on it because he calls a Snapcat anyway. <laughs> but he can use power tools, and I have not a clue, all right? We all have our priorities. But I get my phone back from Michaela, and there's all these names on here like Chelsea and Cheese and Grayson and Keegan and Maddie and on and on and on and on and on. It's blowing up with Snapchat. Why? Because it was a priority. She had to keep her streaks going. We all have our priorities. Well, these ladies here in Luke chapter 24 had priorities. They're not expecting a resurrected Lord. No hope of seeing an empty tomb. 
But they're determined to take care of the body of Jesus and anoint him with spices. But they had a problem. They don't know how they're going to remove the stone that's covering the grave of Jesus in order to get to the body. You see, that stone covering the tomb of Jesus weighs like 3,000 pounds. And they're going to have to roll it out of a groove uphill. And a task possibly requiring several men to do it. But we find good news here in Luke chapter 24, verse 2. When the women went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Problem solved. Now they can get into the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. However, they're about to have a bigger question. Go to verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What happened? Jesus is supposed to be here. Where did he go? Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in grave clothes or in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside him. Obviously, there were angels. We don't know which ones. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men, more specifically these two angels, who must have appeared to be men, asked the ladies one of the great questions of all time. The question is this, why do you seek the living among the dead? This question is followed by the greatest announcement that's ever been made. He is not here. He is risen. Repeat after me. He is risen. Say it again. He is risen. Those three words have changed the course of human history. You see, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, do yourself a favor. Don't come back to church next Sunday. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then nothing that we sing about, preach about, pray about in this place really matters. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, you're wasting your time coming here for worship. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, I've got a suggestion for you. Why don't you just go ahead and fire your pastor? Go ahead, okay? If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then go ahead and fire your pastor. He can get a real job. Let him go to work at Cracker Barrel or Chick-fil-A. Let him be a Walmart greeter. He seems friendly enough. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead... You might want to consider taking your Bible when you get home and throwing it in the trash. Because if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then nothing that we sing about, preach about, pray about in this place today really matters. But if Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, nothing matters more. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. I believe that because the Bible says so. That's proof enough for me just because God said so. But that's not the only reason to believe. Let's look at some more reasons. First, there's the evidence of the empty tomb. If anyone wanted to refute the resurrection, all they had to do was produce a dead body. Jesus said he rose from the dead, but they went to the tomb, and there's his body. He didn't die, or he died, but he's not risen. He's dead. Look at him. There's the body. They couldn't do it. Some say that Jesus didn't even die on the cross. He passed out from the torture, and three days later, he was revived by the cool air of the tomb. So he disentangled himself from his robe and rolled away the stone. He overpowered the Roman guards and set himself free. 
barely alive from all he'd been through with no food or water for three days, yet somehow he managed to roll a nearly 3,000-pound stone, most likely uphill hill from inside the tomb. Because he was inside the tomb, there was no way for him to even get a grip on the stone. Come on, man. A healthy man couldn't even do that, let alone someone who was beaten half to death and nailed to a cross. All the early records are emphatic about Jesus being dead. And everybody knows the Romans were proficient at execution. If the Romans said someone was dead, he was dead. Yet some skeptics never believed that he died. Some people foolishly say that Jesus didn't really die. Others say that the disciples stole the body. Matthew 28 tells us that this was the proposal made by the Sanhedrin, that Peter and Andrew and James and John stole the body of Jesus when the guards were asleep. Listen, these Roman soldiers are not the three stooges. They weren't trained by Gomer and Barney. This is not Lucy and Ethel teaming up with Seinfeld and Kramer. These are highly trained soldiers in groups of four, with each taking four-hour shifts, some 16 soldiers in all, guarding the body of Jesus with their very lives. Dr. George Curry, a student of Roman military discipline, wrote that the fear of punishment produced flawless attention to duty, especially in the night watches. Bible scholar Don Stewart adds, they were governed by very strict rules, and if any of the guards fell asleep while on duty, he and every man in his guard unit would be executed. Sounds like a pretty good motive for staying awake to me. How about you? Some say the disciples were hallucinating. They wanted so badly to believe that Jesus was alive that they simply imagined it in their own minds. Skip down to verse 11. But they, that's the disciples, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. If the disciples were hallucinating, why didn't they believe the women in the first place? And if the disciples were hallucinating, this same hallucination also occurred to over 500 people in several different locations over a period of 40 days. That leads us to evidence number two. Not only do we have the empty tomb, we also have the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20. He appeared to two men walking to the village of Emmaus and to 10 of his disciples here in Luke chapter 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says this. Excuse me. Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scripture. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living. Large numbers of people saw him alive in different locations at different times in different circumstances over a 40-day period. If every eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection recalled to the witness stand to give just a 15-minute testimony, it would take 129 hours to hear all of them. That's breakfast on Monday till dinner on Friday. Pretty impressive list, don't you think? The third proof is the transformation of the disciples. Think about it. When Peter was arrested, what did the disciples do? They ran. When Jesus was being tried at his crucifixion, what did Simon Peter do? He denied the Lord Jesus three times. Here's the boldest of the disciples, Simon Peter, saying, I never knew the man. 
when Jesus was hanging on the cross, the only disciple that we know was there was John. Most, if not all, the rest were gone. But after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, their lives were transformed. They became the boldest witnesses this world has ever seen because they were changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That leads us to one more proof, the work of Jesus today. Excuse me. Have any of you been changed by the life of Jesus? I know I have. And Jesus hasn't just changed us. He changed history from hospitals to human rights to the education of the poor to the building of what became major universities, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, all started out as Christian universities. Did you know that? They're a long way from that now, but not when they began. There's the cross of Jesus Christ. There's the empty tomb. There's the 500 people who saw him at one time and all kinds of other people, the disciples and the women and others who saw him in different times, in different places, in different locations. And there's the change in the course of human history and the change in you and in me because of Jesus Christ. And there's all of creation crying out. Think about it. When you wake up in the morning and you see that sunrise... It's a reminder that Jesus Christ is alive. When you look up at the stars at night and you think, wow, this is amazing. It's a reminder that there is a God who created this universe in his name. It's Jesus Christ. When you look into the eyes of a child, when you see a newborn baby, when you get to go to places all over this world. They're incredibly beautiful and amazing. They're all reminders that there is a God and there is a Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us and he wants to have a personal relationship with you that will change your life forever. See, Jesus Christ did not simply die on the cross and raise from the dead because that was a great thing to do. He did that in order that you might have a personal relationship with him that will change your life forever and ever. And one day you can be with him in heaven, but right here and right now, he will give you power for living moment by moment and day by day. Thomas Arnold, chair of modern history at Oxford University, was well acquainted with the value of evidence in determining historical facts. A great scholar said this, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Verse 6 continues. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Jesus had told him this all along that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. When Jesus told his followers this, all they heard was the crucifixion part. However, verse 8 tells us that when then, after the resurrection, they remembered his words. All of this was making more sense to them now. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, 
They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. They could have kept it to themselves. After all, who's going to believe these women? The witness of women in the first century was not even considered to be acceptable. But these women had just heard the greatest news in the history of the world, and they could not keep it to themselves. Verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, and the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, James, and John were not expecting the resurrection. Even though they were not expecting a resurrection, they had to be curious. Verse 12 says, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Some of you hearing this today, this message this morning, you might be skeptical. You think, yeah, I came because it's Easter and, you know, my parents told me that I should go or, you know, everybody should show up once in a while to church. It's a good thing to do. But I don't really know if Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let me issue this challenge. For the next 30 days, you be really honest with God. And every day for the next 30 days, and it might take you 30 seconds or a minute, but you cry out to God and you say, God... I don't even know for sure if you're real. I don't know if I believe in this church stuff. I don't know if I believe in the Bible. I don't know if I believe in the resurrection. But every day for the next 30 days, God, I will do this. I will ask you to show me if you're real. And if you're real, I'll follow you. If you'll do that every day for the next 30 days, I believe God will make himself real to you. And I believe that God will change your life by the power of Jesus Christ. He's changing lives today for all who place their hope and their faith and their trust in him. If you give your life to Christ, he will give you power for living. He'll give you eternal life. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Absolutely. But does the resurrection of Jesus Christ really matter? See, some things may be true, but they don't really matter. For instance, did you know the world's largest rocking chair is located in Casey, Illinois? Anybody here know where Casey, Illinois is? The world's largest rocking chair is there. It's 56 and a half feet tall. It weighs 46,200 pounds. But does it really matter? The world's largest pencil is also found in Casey, Illinois. It's over 76 feet long and weighs 18,000 pounds. It has a volume of 1,900,000 regular pencils and contains 4,500 pounds of real graphite. But does it really matter? Get this. Walt Disney was afraid of mice. Daffy Duck's middle name is Dumas. Rubber bands last longer in the refrigerator. Peanuts are one of the ingredients of dynamite. Bats always turn left when they exit a cave. You didn't know that, did you, Terry? A shark is the only fish that can blink with both eyes. Is all that true? Supposedly. But here's the question. Does it really matter? The large majority of us in this room today probably believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. But does it really matter to you? 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says this, 
Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then nothing that we do here in church today matters. 1 Corinthians 15, 18 says, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then all of those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, I'm truly sorry, but Grandma didn't go to heaven. Neither did Aunt Susie. Neither did any of those godly people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're all lost. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then he was not a great man. He was the ultimate deceiver. He was a liar or a lunatic. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are a sorry lot today. A pitiful bunch, believing a heresy, living a lie. But Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Do you believe that? And we're the most blessed people on the planet. No matter how much money you have or you don't have. No matter how good your health may be or not be. No matter how great the circumstances of your life are or maybe your circumstances are horrible. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have been blessed more than anyone else who doesn't know Christ because you have life, eternal life one day with him in heaven, and you have a full life with him right here and right now. Some of you might say, well, Kevin, I'm not sure that might be right. It might not be. I would challenge you. I would challenge you, God, if you're real, let me know. I'll follow you. And if you'll do that, I believe every day for the next 30 days, I believe in many, many cases, he will help you to know. But here's the deal. If he proves himself real to you, then you choose by God's grace to follow him. By the way, why would you not want to follow him? Think about it. How many of you know everything? Some of you are married to people who think they know everything, but you don't know everything. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know everything. <laughs> Some of you enjoyed that way too much. How many of you can do anything? I got one hand, all right. Got two. Not really, can you? How many of you can be everywhere at the same time? Some of us have jobs that might feel like we are supposed to, but we can't, can we? But here's the good news. You can have a personal relationship with someone who does know everything, and who can do anything, and it could be everywhere at the same time, and he loves you more than you can ever begin to understand what love is. And he wants to empower you for living. The Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The Bible says faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The Bible says if you'll trust in Christ and follow him, you can be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord. You see, you don't have to live this life on your own. You can live it through the power of Jesus Christ moment by moment and day by day as you put your trust and your faith and your hope in him. And he's offering that to all of you today. You don't have to work hard to get it. 
You don't have to go to church a hundred times. You don't have to read the Bible through. You don't have to be the nicest person on your block. All you have to do is receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Lord. See, the Bible says, for all have sinned. Say the word all with me. All. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. That means I've sinned, you've sinned. Every single person who ever walked the face of this planet, other than Jesus Christ, we've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all failed. That's the bad news. In fact, there's more bad news. The Bible continues to say the wages or the payment for our sin is death. Separation from God one day in a place called hell. That's bad news, is it not? Say bad news with me. Bad news. That's bad news, is it not? But here's the good news. The gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ your Lord. If you will place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you can have life, eternal life. You can have all of your sin forgiven. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how bad you may think that your sin is. It doesn't matter what your issue is or what's your problem. You can be right with God before you leave this building today if you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and give your life to Him. Why would you not want to do that? He knows everything. He can do anything. He's promised you life eternal and abundant, and He loves you more than anyone else has the capacity to love. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering life. He's offering hope today. For any and all of you who receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Savior, our Savior and Lord, he loves you. I love the emphatic answer to the resurrection question that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. The Christ has indeed been raised from the dead Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Repeat after me. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. Now, most of us truly believe that. The question you've got to answer, if you do believe that, is this. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ really matter to you? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? He's offering life, everlasting life, one day in heaven, but long before you get to heaven, right here and right now, he's offering to partner with you, to empower with you the life that only he can give. I close with this. W.E. Sangster was a great Methodist preacher back in the mid-1900s. He ascended the pulpit of London's Westminster Central Hall in 1939, just in time to lead his congregants through the terrors of World War II. His sermons were regularly halted by bombings in the city, and sometimes he preached through them, telling hearers, those of a nervous disposition may leave now. I don't know about you, but I think I might have just went down in the basement. He only lived to be 60 years old, contracting an incurable disease that slowly caused his muscles to waste away. His legs became useless, and his voice would go completely, but he continued in ministry right up until the point where his voice had gone and he could barely hold a pen. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before he died, 
he wrote in a letter to his daughter. It is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, he is risen, but it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Repeat after me. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Go tell the good news. Would you pray with me?